Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the program. My name is Mondo. Stay tuned because on today's program, we are going to talk about the principles of war. It seems like war is everywhere. Culture wars, religious wars. We got physical wars. And I'm sure, I'm sure that you are battling a war within you. And it's time for us to not be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. My special guest today is going to help us understand where we are in history. You know, when you look back at history, you got to take a good look at what's happened in the past in order to make sense of what's happening today and where are we going to go tomorrow. You know, my special guest, General Boykin, oh, just that name alone has power. But General Boykin is the executive vice president of the Family Research Council and the founder of Kingdom Warriors Ministry. He is a founding member and former commander of Delta Force, serving 36 years in the U.S. Army. General Boykin is a retired American lieutenant general who was the United States Deputy Under Secretary of Defense for Intelligence under President George W. Bush. During his 36-year career in the military, he spent 13 years in the Delta Force and was involved in high-profile missions, get this, including the 1980 Iran hostage rescue attempt. In the 1989, General Boykin participated in the U.S. invasion of Panama as part of the mission to apprehend Manuel Noriega and participated in Operation Acid Gambit. Also in 1992, for the hunt for the notorious drug lord Pablo Escobar in Colombia, and of course, the Black Hawk Down incident in Somalia. Those were just some of the most recognizable missions that the general was involved in, and this has become part of our history. But let me tell you this, General Boykin is a national speaker. He's a news commentator, author of several books, and the general has partnered together with Rick Joyner, to write one of the most anticipated books today titled The Principles of War. I want you to help me welcome the general back to the program. How you doing, sir? I'm doing well, Mondo, and what a treat it is to uh, be on your program. Uh, listen, I thank you for your friendship, and I thank you for serving our country and for not being ashamed to preach the gospel. Well, I'm way beyond that. Uh, I don't know how much time the Lord gives me uh, and when I'll be out of here, but until that time comes, I am going to continue to share the gospel with people because I know that that is our calling as Christians, not just for me, but for all of us. You know, General, when you started your career in the military, did you ever imagine you would be a part of some of the most high-profile missions in America's military culture that became part of world history? Mondo, it's, it's interesting you ask that because the answer is clearly no. I had no idea what lay in store. I had no idea what plan uh, God had for me as I came into the Army in uh, January of 1971 as a young second lieutenant. And, uh, and every day was a new day for me because uh, uh, God opened up opportunities and opened up a world uh, that uh, was beyond what I could have possibly imagined in my finite mind. What is the state of our military here in America? And should we be concerned about where we are? 
Mondo, thank you for asking that question because it is a subject that I feel very passionate about. I will tell you that I think that our military is in decline. I think it's in decline because the administration that we have right now is not focused on readiness. In other words, readiness to win the nation's wars. That's the mission of our military, to deter and to win the nation's wars. And the focus of this administration is on making our military woke, uh, on, on forcing on them things like a, uh, a vaccine mandate, which many of them do not want to take, and then bullying them uh, to either take the, the, the vaccine or get out of the military. And that is bullying. And so as I look at our military today, what I see is a totally different culture there where you have commanders that instead of recognizing their first obligation uh, is to those young men and women that, uh, that they're responsible for, they now uh, have gotten into the political game. And uh, if they want to get ahead, uh, they, they know that they've got to play this game with the wokeness and, and uh, all of these things that go with that. And it, it's very disturbing to me, and I think that it's a decline uh, that is avoidable, yet nonetheless it is happening right now. It's almost like a slap in the face for all the years that you and your men have served for the freedom of this country to get this far and to see how this administration is handling this conflict between Russia and Ukraine. What do you make of that, General? i tell you what. Uh, I knew the Ukrainians would fight. I knew they were tough, rugged people. I, I've been to the Ukraine, and and they are tough, rugged people, but no one could have possibly guessed, I think, that they would put up such a fight that they're actually winning the war against. They're outnumbered. They're outgunned. Uh, yet they have uh, deterred the Russians at almost every turn. And I think that uh, I think the hand of God is upon them, quite frankly. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of corruption in the Ukraine, but right now that doesn't matter. What really matters is that they are defeating Goliath. Ooh, wow. Listen, you making those statements can get you in trouble. <laughs> it yeah, seems like okay. they don't want you to speak the truth anymore. They don't want you to even question the woke movement and the cancel culture, trying to cancel every word, every, every direction that you're taking. And in general, when you look at this administration, I'm sure we all know this. It's like they think that we don't have common sense, but for everyone that's watching... We're watching that we know that Ukraine needs help, yet this administration is holding back. Are, are they scared of Vladimir Putin, of what he may do to America? Yes, Mondo, the answer is yes. Uh, and you think about nuclear weapons are only effective as a deterrent. You don't want to fire them. Once you fire them, it's, it's all over with, because uh, if the Russians fired first, we'd make a parking lot out of Moscow. And, uh, and they would do the same if we fired first. So they're only good as deterrence. And that is exactly what uh, our president and this administration are, are absolutely fear-struck. They're captured by a fear of uh, Vladimir Putin using a nuclear weapon. And I, I say this, there are three, at least three countries sitting across his border there that have a nuclear arsenal of their own. The United States... France, and Britain. And uh, so does he really want to fire a nuclear weapon? Does he really want to use a nuclear weapon? Does he want to use one in in Ukraine? 
that would ultimately uh, disperse nuclear fallout over across those borders in those other NATO countries and trigger an Article 5. I don't think so. It's time for our president to get over his fear of Vladimir Putin and his nuclear arsenal. I don't take it lightly, and I don't mean to be flippant about it, but if we're going to go forward in this world that we live in, we have to make a stand right now that will in many ways set the stage for who we're going to be and what our relationships are going to be with the nations of Europe and really the nations all over the world. General, you have studied geopolitics in depth. I don't think you get where you got in the military by not understanding geopolitics and understanding how nation leaders of these nations move before they even make a move. And while we are being distracted by Russia and Ukraine, it seems like no one's paying attention to what China's strategy is to invade another nation called Taiwan. Do you foresee China making a move as the world is distracted by Vladimir Putin, Russia, and Ukraine invasion taking place? The uh, the the intel analysts, I'll say, uh, have believed for quite some time that they would not invade Taiwan until after uh, November of this year, probably into next year, because this November is when the Communist Party in China has its five-year meeting. And in that five-year meeting, they choose their leader, and then they choose what policies they're going to implement over the next five years. And then they do it again in five years. Uh, because they don't want anything to disrupt what uh, they're trying to accomplish there. But when Putin entered uh, Russia, there was a shift in that. And the, and the shift was that the Chinese might want to use this as an opportunity, a window of opportunity, while the world is distracted, as you said, a window of opportunity to go ahead and take Taiwan. It appears now that it's gone back the other way because of the abysmal, abysmal performance of the Russian military there. They are getting beaten by a force that is so inferior in numbers and weapons and, and experience. And so... I think China's number one aim right now in terms of a foreign policy is to take Taiwan. And they will do it before Joe Biden leaves office because I think they see, just like Putin did, it's now or never. But I'm not sure now that it will be uh, right away because I think that uh, the abysmal performance by the Russians has, has kind of put a damper on their enthusiasm for taking Taiwan. And by the way, when they try it, they're going to get a lot of the same thing that Russia's getting right now. Taiwan's tough, and they're the highest tech country in the world. When you look at the leader of Iran, when you get look at the leadership in, in Israel, you're looking at the leadership in Saudi Arabia, America, we can go down the list, China, North Korea, South Korea, all these nations. I believe after reading your book, General, and you have partnered with Rick Joyner to write a powerful book, The Principles of War. What do you feel are some of the principles of wars that these leaders are breaking? And they, they're not getting, you know, no one, it seems like no one is holding them accountable to the principles of war. The very first uh, principle of war is objective. 
You have to have an objective. What's your objective? And then you have to stay focused on that objective. I, I think this, I think this uh, administration has no objective or, or had no objective going into this, uh, to this invasion of the Russians, uh, because I think that they thought uh, that it would be a quick war. That three days they would have the capital. That they being the Russians, they'd have the capital. And uh, they'd have a puppet government, and then we'd start negotiating with the new puppet government. And there was no real objective other than to let it all happen. Now, you've got to have an objective. You've got to have an objective. What is your objective, Mr. Biden? What is your objective in the Ukraine right now? And that objective should be to help Zelensky and the Ukrainian people to win this war against China. But it's just now that we're starting to see some indications that they're they're moving to that objective. So if you don't have an objective, you're going to go all over the place, and that's what they've done. They've been all over the place. And that's why you see materials, both humanitarian and lethal, coming in late. Coming in, things that should have been put in there, I mean, the, at the first sign of an invasion or a threat to the Ukrainians, we should have been dumping uh, large loads of uh, materials in there, and, and we didn't because we didn't have an objective. The other thing is surprise. That's the principle of war, surprise. You don't tell your enemy what you're going to do. But what did our president do? He got up and made a statement about a minor incursion, sort of leaving the clear impression that if Putin only took maybe just the east— uh, or expanded his uh, his hold on the Crimea, maybe into southern Ukraine there, that uh, the U.S. wouldn't do anything. That We gave up the element of surprise there. We knew what he was thinking from that point on. And think of the other things that he has done now that has, I think, left no doubt in Vladimir Putin's mind that this president is afraid of him and that he's not going to do anything that... Uh, that is avoidable. And I think so we've given up the element of surprise and we've given up uh, the objective. And then I think there are other principles there and those principles that Rick and I wrote about, though, that are very important to all sides, especially to the uh, to the Ukrainians in yeah. terms of fighting this war right now. But they're also important to us That's as it. Christians, as people, as Americans and mass is one of them. Knowing when to pour everything you've got into the battle, and this is, uh, you know, from from my perspective, this is when, you know, you in a spiritual context, this is when you you start as, as Ephesians six says, you put on a whole armor and you pray in the spirit, and you are, I mean, it's all out. We call it final protective fires uh, in the military, in the army especially, and that's when. You're either going to get overrun or you're going to kill all the enemy on the other side of that uh, defensive line there. You know, so, I, I love how you're talking about the principles of war, even for our own lives, because we're watching a debacle take place on a national level, and yet we're facing war in the culture today, and it seems like this battle it, it, within ourselves by you know, wishy-washing or, or, or even diluting the gospel. How do we apply some of these personal principles that we can have in our lives, General, to be able to withstand the enemy and be able to 
use and pick up the weapons that the Bible gave us, like faith and prayer and, and being able to really understand how to fight back? I just talked about the principle of mass, mass, putting everything you've got into it. You stop and think about it. In the Christian world, uh, there are no greater warriors than intercessors. And we need to learn to use those intercessors effectively because that's mass. Well, you bring them together. I mean, these, these are people that are called to be intercessors. These are people that are called to intercede for a people, for issues, for nations. And uh, we need to make sure that we know how to use those intercessors and we use them appropriately and we provide them with what they need. See, they can pray about things specifically. They can pray with, with a certain fidelity that, that, Everybody doesn't, and and I think that that is mass in a in a pure form is when we bring in the intercessors. That's the artillery. Wow. That that's that's when it's getting serious. Now you bring those in, you mass them, and and I promise you, and you know it, Mondo, because you've seen it as well, and you've seen it in your own life. Uh, they make a huge difference. They turn the tide of battle. It's a message that needs to continue to be preached. And as I watch, General, what's, how the church is responding, it's almost, you know, half of the church is responding when they have the information like you're talking about, yet the other, on the other hand, they're selling out. And, and General, what's next for religious institutions? Because you work and you are the executive vice president of Family Research Center, but what's next for the institutions in America like churches, ministries, and schools? Because this culture war is threatening the values, the beliefs, and the rights of individuals, and they want us to be ashamed of the gospel. Yeah, all you have to do is look at Canada. That's our neighbor, our closest neighbor, our biggest trading partner. And look what's happening in Canada. They're arresting pastors now. They're shutting people down for being able to exercise any free speech rights of, of, of their own. And, and by the way, that's coming to America. It's coming to America. And we can stop it if we will. If we have the courage to stop it, we can stop it. Now, it's a couple of things we've got to do. Number one, we, we've got to make up our minds that we're going to be willing to take a stand, just like those mothers did in Loudoun County, Virginia, against the school board. We've got to take a stand against this assault on our faith, this assault on our First Amendment rights. That's important. But the other thing is, uh, we have got to uh, we've we've got to muster our courage and and rally the people around us to come along beside us, or we come along beside them, or we all come together, and we've got to have a plan for how we're going to stop this. What does it mean? And we've got to be willing to do what it takes to pay whatever price it, we have to pay in order to uh, stop what's happening here. And again, it, just look at Canada and you see what's happening in, in America unless we rally and stand with a lot of courage against what's going to happen, what they're trying to do. One last question. I know you got to go, and I appreciate you squeezing me in in your schedule today. You're a busy man. You're on television all over the place. You're advising leaders, you're, you're really, you're standing in the gap between the living and the dead, as the Bible talks about. One last question, General. What's your advice for 
our young generation, what you want to yeah. leave them with, because if there was a statement that you have to make, and if it was ever a, one of the last statements that you make, what advice do you leave this young generation with? This is going to sound simple, but think about it. <clears throat> First of all, I say to them, and I do this, I mean, I talk to young people all over when I teach uh, leadership. Know what you believe, but more importantly, know why you believe it. Now, just think about that. And I tell you, and I tell them because if you don't know why you believe it, somebody's going to come along. They're going to present an argument. You're not going to know which direction to go, and you're going to wind up being swayed over to their side because their argument is better than yours. Know why you believe it, and uh, what you'll find is a lot of people are an inch deep in terms of what they believe. Because everything you think you believe, every value that you think you have is going to be challenged. And you better be ready to defend it, but you better be ready to, to be able to explain why capitalism is better than socialism. Ooh, People may say that. Wow. That I believe in capitalism. Oh, yeah, but why? Why not socialism? You better know what you're talking about. And you got to know the Word of God. So if you don't do anything else, if you don't take anything else from what I'm talking about today, one of the ways that you you become conversant on what you believe is by being in the Word of God. You ought to be reading that Bible every day and, and absorbing something out of that Bible. But that Bible gives you freedom to state what you believe and why you believe it because that Bible is, a, is the the authority in terms of our values. General Boykin, I love you, my friend. It's, I'm proud to call you a friend. I'm proud, I'm proud to call you a brother in Christ. Thank you for serving our nation, but most importantly, thank you for serving our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You got to get the book, The Principles of War. If there was an hour where we need this information is right now. I got to leave you with this scripture right here because everything goes back to the word. And if there was ever a time to stand and preach the gospel and not be ashamed of its power to transform lives is a message that came straight out of the Apostle Paul and given it to Timothy. And now Timothy is speaking to you and myself for this hour. You're going to find this and you got to go get your Bible and dust it all off. It's been sitting at your table. It's been sitting near your coffee table. And it's probably the Bible that your grandma gave you or maybe a friend gave you. And you're afraid to open it up because it's going to give you conviction in your heart. But I give you this word for you to meditate on it today as the general suggested, advised it. And now it's challenging you. I'm going to give you another challenge from the Apostle Paul to Timothy. And Timothy wrote this down for us with, along with the Apostle Paul for this hour, I believe. 2 Timothy chapter 4, he says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearance in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready and season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time now is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. 
by having itchy ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And, he goes on saying, will turn away from listening to the truth and wondrous off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure in suffering, do the work of an evangelist and fulfill your ministry. This is the hour of not to be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You must stand and have the principles of war, of not just knowing the what's in your life, it's knowing why. Why do you believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead? Why do you believe that the gospel is the truth, the way, and the life? Why do you believe that God created men and women? Why do you believe? The world wants to know the why. Yet, the answer is in the gospel. You can't change the gospel. You can't dilute the gospel. You can't deconstruct the gospel. This generation wants to deconstruct the truth, the gospel of Jesus Christ, into almost to a place where you're not even recognizing what the truth is anymore. But the principles of war will allow you to understand where you stand. The Bible says that as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Which side are you going to be on? It's not about being on the left and on the right. It's being on the track on what God has called you to do in your life. And I believe that God has called you to start a ministry of your own. But if you're going to start doing the ministry, you can't dilute the gospel to fit into this culture. you got to stand strong. You're going to lose friends. You're going to lose jobs. You're going to lose opportunities. But guess what? The greatest news is that you will gain a place in heaven next to the King of Kings. If there was ever a time to have hope is right now, as the world is getting darker, as the teachings are getting diluted, as the gospel is being considered hate speech, and as we're being, you know, called crazy and terrorists for knowing and believing that this gospel is the truth, is the way, is the life. What other gospel is going to help you in your marriage? What other gospel is going to help you in this, you know, culture war that you're in right now? It's not just the what's in life. It's the why do you believe what you believe in that will set you apart from the next person sitting at that table. You have the opportunity right now to understand that if you're going to be called to preach the gospels and have the principles of wars and understand how to adapt them and, and put them into your life, so you will understand what the mission is, what the objective. The general said it clearly. You must know what your objective is. You must know what your mission is. And if you're out there not knowing what your objective is and what your mission is, you're going to fall into every teaching that is out there in order to be itched in your ears. And you're going to follow unsound doctrine that will lead you to a road of confusion. And today, old culture needs the truth. It needs to be challenged. But the Bible says we must read the word. We must hide the word inside of us. It's not your opinion that is going to change lives. It is the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ that is going to change people's hearts. If you don't know Jesus Christ today, I hope you can just, you know, close your eyes and say, Lord, forgive me of my sins. I repent of my ways. I repent of what I've been hearing. I, I repent of the confusion. I want the truth and nothing but the truth, Lord. And if you are considered to be the truth, then show me 
the truth, which is you, Lord. Change my life. I have to go. But remember this. I love you even if I don't know you. Keep the faith. God is on your side. I'll see you next time. Bye-bye.